Well, I get excited when we, uh, we get to start a new week, because the new week hasn't really started yet. I like to think of Sunday as sort of the very, very end of the other week. Uh, what a great way to get going before the week gets going, then to talk about happiness. And I've been enjoying this focus, this study on happiness, because for me, I enjoy being happy, and it makes me happy to be happy. So it's very worthwhile for me to, to discover and to highlight thieves of our happiness. Um, it's easier to live more wisely when some of these things are kind of pulled out and exposed to the light. And then when I, when I behave in these new highlighted ways, it guarantees me that I have a chance to battle my own unhappiness. And I, I need to know those things. I need to make better choices. And it makes the choices easier to make. So today is about happiness and money. And so, of course, it becomes just hugely relevant to all of us. Um, two things that we all want, two things that we are all interested in, two things that we have a struggle to really get a handle on. Um, I think um, when I think about money and I think about happiness, I have to be honest, I, I have to think about you. When we have been in financial need, God through you has continued to meet all of our needs. Um, when, when we open up opportunity for you to give, you respond well. The Crisis Pregnancy Center, the Benevolent Fund, the Jaffrey Offering, which we, we, we take in October, the You Are Home Shelter for, for Human Trafficking, Restore Stouffville and, and the coldest night of the year to support compassionate, benevolent care to our town. You have been and you continue to be generous. And that's a spiritual sign of health and wellness. May it continue. May God continue to bless you as you continue to give cheerfully, boldly, and full of trust. And I have to say, I'm proud of you. I love my church. And that makes me happy. So thank you. Those things don't show up everywhere. You're doing a good job, and I wanted to make sure that you know that. Right now, we're at the beginning of part four of what makes you happy. So I wanted to start again with our review quiz to sort of bring you up to speed if you, didn't, if you don't have the other stuff or to, uh, just to remind you where we were. Um, so even if you don't know the answers, we're going to love you anyways, and they're not too hard to figure out. So week, from week one, question one, what makes you happy? No thing, right? No thing makes me happy because happiness is more about a, a who than a what. And if you are happy, chances are it is because of a who or two. Week two, same question, different answer. What makes you happy? Sowing. Sowing. Well, we learned from Jesus in his most famous sermon that happiness is an outcome. Happiness is a result. The sad part for our on-demand culture is that happiness is not really immediately accessible. It is not a single event. It is a process. You sow and you reap your way into happiness. To take what Jesus said and to sort of condense it all down, say, you got to sow for it. It's time to start doing things differently. Doing things differently leads to new destinations. You must do the new things consistently. The unhappy part for many of sowing and reaping is that it takes time. 
The problem with the law of the harvest is that when you plant a seed today, there is no harvest today. There is no crop a week from now. The crop takes time. The problem with sowing and reaping is that when you begin to sow and you don't know which direction you're sowing in, you could be sowing in the direction of your own unhappiness. And then once you're there and you're you're sort of in your groove and you've been going for a while, years pass and you say, why am I so unhappy? I wasn't unhappy before, but I'm unhappy now. What changed? And then you're able to look back over time and you realize, no wonder I'm so unhappy. Look at what I've been doing for the last 10 years of my life. I was sowing in the wrong direction for years. And now I am reaping exactly what I have sown. And I don't want it to be my fault. I want it to be someone else's fault. I want it to be something else's fault. So who who can I blame this on? Is it my parents? Is it my government? Is it my boss? It's not my fault. But when I finally take responsibility, I realize that it's going to take years to sow myself back out of my bad relationships, my bad job decisions, my bad health choices, my bad habits, my addictions, both little and large. And it's not so much that I'm going to have to So, my way back out. Here are the good news in this. The good news is that I can sow my way back out. You can sow your way back to happiness. As you sow and as you go, also know that you will be met by the Holy Spirit on that path. The road trip in earnest pursuit of Jesus is what we're all about. We have said it again and again. You don't have to have the whole thing settled and figured out to start the road trip, to begin the travel. You start by surrounding yourself with some great people, great people, positive people. And let me recommend, if you don't have those people, let me recommend to you some of my friends at Into One, some of the best people that I know. You can belong here before you believe here. And then as you sow your way along, embrace belief, bit by bit, piece by piece, and then grow and sow and walk and run along that pathway and arrive at boldness. You have some control over your happiness, but you have to sow in the right direction to get there. If you don't, you reap unhappiness. Many of you have been sowing in the right direction, and you've been doing it for years, and you are happy because of it. But we know that you weren't just born happy. And we know that you're not happy because your life has just been filled with awesomeness and great things your whole time. You are happy because you have understood and grasped some of the things that we have been talking about in the last couple of weeks. Happiness just doesn't arrive. You have to sow for it. And there's no, uh, no area, really, that, that this applies more to than in the area of money. Here's a thought that we have applied to so many areas, but in money, it just, it just kind of stands out above, clear, embossed, however you'd like to say that. So how many of you have ever thought this? Um, may, maybe you've even said this out loud, okay? So you don't actually have to answer, but think in your head. Have you ever said this? Have you ever thought this? 
I thought I knew what would make me happy. But buyer's remorse, right? There's a separate takeaway from that discovery, and it's true in a number of different areas and places, but it really applies to the money thing as well. Here it is. You should not believe everything you think. Embarrassing, right? Revealing. It's obvious. You know you have thoughts that you shouldn't just believe, but it's also liberating. Do not believe everything that you think. Just because it pops in there doesn't make it good. Because you have made decisions that were based on, I think that I know what will make me happy. And then you found out that you were absolutely wrong. Now, where, where does this become more important than in the realm of money? Regardless of the way this has worked out in your life, we all have all been um, there. There's this connection between our money and our happiness. We've heard it, we've put that together, and you've heard maybe somebody, maybe like a preacher guy say to you, you know what, money won't make you happy. And you hear that and you think to yourself, well, well, I guess there's something about that. I guess, I guess that's got to be true in some degree, but there are still parts of you that laugh and they want to joke and they say, yeah, but I'd like to give her a try, right? And it doesn't matter how many times you hear it, you still don't really believe it. And we're all prone to the, yeah, well, let's try it out. Are you saying it's a test? If it's a test, where do I sign up? I'll try. Give me a shot. Yeah, maybe happiness is more with a who or two. That sounds possible, and I can get that kind of an idea. But when you break it all down, Graham, honestly, in the way that I'm going to look to the future, in the the way that I I look to the way I'm going to make my decisions, I am deeply committed to my belief that money will make me happy. And Okay, I, I get that. Um, we're not prepping you up to make you feel guilty about something. There, there really is a connection between money and happiness. It really is there. The conclusion that we are heading f- towards at the end here really isn't money is evil and you should get rid of it all. Right here. Get rid of all your evil money right here. We're collecting evil money. No. We don't believe that, right? There's a a connection between money and happiness, but where we mess up, where we get it all wrong, is that if you, even if you're not a religious person, okay, and you're you're full of all this uh, unsuriosity about how this all works, what we're going to look at today is just helpful. And it doesn't matter whether you believe in Jesus or not. Jesus is a great teacher, and what he's going to teach you is going to be true, even if you don't believe he's the Son of God. When it comes to money and happiness, we assume that the key to money and happiness is this word right here, more. If I had more money, ah, oh, I would be more happy. If I had more money, I would be happier. So to try and get our heads around, around this, to, to put our heads in the game to see if we can engage this thought, I want to ask you a couple of questions, okay? So question number one, how much more money would it take to make you happy? How much more? Have you worked on this at all? Like, we believe that more would make us happy, but how much more? What would it take? How will I know if I get it? If more money means more happy, well, how much more will it take until I'm happy? And if you're you're going to believe this, you should really know the answer to this because you'll be the one who's deciding whether or not it worked. In this series, we have uh, noticed that all happy people have peace. And we have said that all happy people are at peace with the world and their 
peace with themselves and they're, they're at peace with others. Um, but, and many, not all, but many are at peace with God. So let's let ask the same question in a, in a different way, using the language that we've already been using throughout the series, okay? How much more money would it take to give you peace? Because peace and happiness are intimately related. What is the amount that you would need to have peace? And forget about your crumbling marriage or forget about your kids and how they're running wild. How much money would it take to give you peace? I think I, think I can give you an answer for like everyone in the room. And the answer is just always more. More than I currently have. This, this can be so hard to believe. No matter how much you have, no matter, no matter where you live, no matter what you drive, no, how much do I need to have peace? How much do I need to have happiness? And the answer continues to come up with more. More than what you currently have. Because when you get to more, you, you find that you just want, well, more. More than I currently have. And I'm glad you're here today because we're going to link this statement and thought between money and happiness. There really is a link there, but the link is not more. You already know people with a lot more money than you have that are not happy. And the part that feels really broken is when when you find people with less money, with fewer resources than you or you and your family You find some of these families and less money, less stuff, less travel, but they they just get along. And they're good together. And they're they're good to be around. When When you're near them, you're better. And it wasn't because of money. And the big challenge with a message like this, I think, is dissonance. Dissonance. And what I mean by that is that I'm imagining in my head, and I could be wrong, but I'm imagining in my head that there's going to be very little disagreement with the big points, the big thoughts, the key thoughts that are there. But I'm imagining at the same time that there's going to still be great difficulty in applying the alignment between heart and mind. Heart and mind. Heart and mind. Uh, <laughs> I can believe in my mind, but I just, I just don't feel it. In my heart, I want it to be true. I want to live like that. I want to have that kind of freedom. But the practical living it out, well, that's just deep challenge. And I I haven't mastered that. And then there's this monster-sized truth that comes up. Your perspective on happiness would be so different. With heart and mind together, we would find the way to sow and reap your way towards happiness. And you could be a unified person as you go. And then as you do that, you could become a model to those around you on how to bring money and happiness together. And this would be like a parent-child relationship, but also quite realistically, a peer-to-peer relationship. We just need to have more living, breathing, moving examples at work within our world of living out this financial reality in happiness. What a profound good that would be if there was just some more people that you could point at. Because the majority of the current models, they focus on the dissonance that's brought on by the rigid belief and the worship of more. Money and happiness connect. It's around another M word, but it's not more. The word is managed. It's not how much you have. It's how you manage what you have whether great or small, that determines whether or not you're going to be happy 
when it comes to money. So money can contribute to your happiness if you manage it well. So think about this. Anything that undermines your peace undermines your happiness. And we're talking about how to be happy. That's why we keep coming back to this. Anything that undermines your peace undermines your happiness. That's what we've been saying since the beginning of the series. So anything that undermines, anything that undercuts, anything that erodes, distracts from your peace, undermines your happiness. Which means if you mismanage your money, you undermine your peace. And if you mismanage your money, you are withdrawing from your peace bank. Your peace balance decreases. And it, it doesn't matter, regardless of how much you have or how much you make. The same things happen. So Jesus said some stuff, and, and what he said is kind of staggering, right? It's hard to get your head around it the first time, but it kind of hits you. And if, if what he said is true, then we all are going to need to hit that reset button on our beliefs and our practices about money. And Jesus actually said, if you don't get control of your money, your money will manage you. You've got to learn to manage it or it will manage you. And this is where many Canadians are. This is where many North Americans sit right here. If you don't learn to manage your money correctly, your money will manage you and it will manage you unkindly. If your money and your finances are managing you, then you do not, you cannot have peace. And if you cannot have peace, you cannot have happiness. The reason that you don't have peace is because you feel out of control. And in any area of your life where you feel out of control, you feel anxiety, it's hard to be happy in all the other areas. So Jesus is the master teacher. He throws this out. You've probably heard this kind of idea before. Luke chapter 16 is where we're going. Verse 13, no one can serve two masters to which we are all liberated 21st century people, and we say, I don't have any master, right? I just do what I want when I want to do it. Nobody's in control of me. That's ancient history. That's slavery and master kind of stuff. That's so primitive. We're beyond that. We're, be we're above and beyond all of that. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You've got to listen to the application that he has of this master-slave idea. You cannot serve both God and money. And when you hear that, you cannot serve both God and... Now, weren't you thinking he was going to say, the devil? You can't serve both God and the devil. What's the opposite of God, right? Isn't that the enemy, Satan, the devil? Or is it sin or, or evil? That's the opposite of God, right? When you think of the opposite of God, you just don't think of money. Jesus says you can only serve one of two masters. You can either serve God or you will serve money. And to draw a little bit more insight from this, you've got to understand that when you when take the word, um, the, the Greek word that's translated here as money, and in some older translations, it's translated, and maybe you've heard this word before. It comes up in the Old Testament more. Um, have you ever heard of mammon? What is a mammon? <laughs> uh, mammon means basically, rough translation, stuff. It includes money, but it's broader than money. It's, it's all the stuff. It's the stuff that you want. It's the stuff that you have. It's the stuff that the money you've got is going to go out and buy the stuff that you want, the stuff that you don't have. It's, it's all 
the stuff. That's mammon. And Jesus says you will serve one of two masters. You will either serve God or you will serve your stuff. Which means that in Jesus' way of thinking, you, and you might not agree with this again, but I think you should consider it anyways. In Jesus' way of thinking, the chief competitor for your devotion, you know, God wants your devotion, and, and at the same time something else or someone else wants your devotion. God wants to call the shots in your life. He wants to direct you on the path that leads to, to enlightenment and to peace and to grace and to love. And at the same time, there's someone else or something else that wants to call the shots in your life. Jesus knows us so well. He, can, he just sort of opens you up and exposes you. The chief competitor for your devotion isn't Satan. The chief competitor for your devotion isn't even sin. The chief competitor for your heart and for your devotion is your stuff or your desire for stuff. You want money to get stuff. And Jesus was explaining this all 2,000 years ago, and it doesn't sound like very much has changed since then. The stuff that you want has changed, but the fact that you desire it, that you want it, that part hasn't changed. So when you, you hear those words, and they, they just sound like, wow, that's just... A, ton of hyperbolic language. Why, why so much hyperbole? Why so much exaggeration? I don't serve my stuff and I don't love money. Jesus responds, you know, hang on a second. Just take, take a look, look, look carefully at what I'm actually saying. This is so important. If you want to be better at life and if you want to live better in life, then you should really listen to what Jesus says. Read what Jesus says because he's, he's giving out truth and it's big. Even if you don't want to recognize Jesus as the Son of God, even if that's not where you are today, you should still read and listen to what he taught. And so maybe you just read that last part too quickly and it didn't, it didn't kind of sink in. So no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. Well, like I said, I don't love money. Hold on, Jesus says. I'm going to define what this looks like. And so he goes on. Or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. I don't love stuff, right? Yeah, but I mean devoted to. Devoted to looks like this, okay? There's a strong attachment to devoted. There's a quest for devoted. A primary decision-making filter. Um, I've, I've got my eye on it, devoted. When making decisions, I, I look through the filter of what I value most, what I'm most devoted to in order to narrow down and select my final choice. You might not like the word love when it comes to money, but you are pretty devoted to your stuff. You are pretty devoted to your desire for stuff. And you might not bow down to stuff and worship it, but when you compare side by side your devotion to stuff and any other thing, stuff frequently wins. So, so here's a, a kind of a pexy, pesky, poking kind of question. Has your desire for something ever caused you to do something? You know, kind of a dumb question. The answer is, of course, for all of us, yes, it has. Something has made me do something. Because I want that thing, has your desire ever, you, you know that internal, invisible desire, has that desire for I want ever caused it to become visual? You acted you behaved? 
Has your desire for something ever caused you to do something stupid? I'm not calling you stupid. There was no comma in there, just so grammar people. I think that for most of us, again, the answer is yes. We've all made impulse buys. We've all had buyer's regret. We had debt that lasted longer than the item. We realize that the sale price does not make it look better on you when you get home. Inside of you, there is a desire. Uh, Your your common sense says, "I, I know I shouldn't do that. You know, I already have one. I've already got multiple pairs of those. We have a perfectly good couch. But in yourself, you begin to sense a desire for something else, for something fresh, for something new, right? And you act on that desire. And then you look back and you label that decision stupid. Has your desire for something ever caused you to do something you regret? And I think the answer is probably yes there too. What is that? Why do we do that? It's a desire for that equates to a devotion to. Your devotion to your desire for stuff. Your devotion to your desire for getting what you want. Your devotion to your desire in order to spend, to satisfy an appetite that is never, ever, ever going to be satisfied. In those cases, your desire mastered you. You were not the boss. You now have that uncomfortable lease payment. or Now you've got a boat sitting in the driveway going nowhere. Now you have a storage unit that's filled to the rafters with stuff just waiting for the day that you need it. Someday when you need it. And now you have that entire room in your house that's been dedicated to a hobby that seemed to be so great. You know what? This hobby is so good, I can probably even make money from this. But you never have. Why didn't we just stay in the smaller house? Was that last car really so embarrassing to drive? Why do I keep giving stuff away so that I can keep stuffing stuff in? Why do I stand in front of full drawers and and, and full closets and still think to myself, I have nothing to wear? Why? See, Jesus is smarter than you think because it's not a one-person problem. This is a humanity kind of thing. Jesus knew that the chief competitor for the throne of your life is the desire to acquire. It's your desire for stuff. It has the power to enslave us. When you are enslaved, you are not happy. No matter how much money you make, no matter how much money you have at your disposal. This this stuff is so obvious, okay? We all have regret. We we deal with it. We, we, We live with it. We have all done things that we wish later on that we did not do. This is common. Why is it common? Why do we do that? And it begins with this this complex word that that has so many meanings, discontentment. 
This is a powerful world. It it has sweeping, far-reaching powers. Discontentment ensures that I am never satisfied with what I have because I know what you have and I know what there is to have. So discontentment is driven by awareness. As you become aware of what there is, you begin to have discontentment. Upgrades. New ones. Shinier ones. Faster ones more fashionable ones, new colors, more ergonomic ones. I still don't know what ergonomic means. But it's a combination of these things that breed discontentment. And it grows. And it grows because of awareness. Have you ever said this phrase, okay? Oh, I didn't even know they had one of those. Have you ever said that? That leads frequently to this discovery that you now need that thing. Now, think about this for yourself. What is the fastest time that you have gone from didn't even know it existed to I need one of those right now? Right? What I don't see, I don't buy. We are driven this way because of this next horrible, nasty, painfully accurate word greed. Most of us, you know, honestly, probably most of us are greedy. And it's really easy to see on them, and it's absolutely invisible on me. Do you remember what Jesus said about this? We talked about this in November in our series, uh, Weird Like Us. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Greed is, if, if it gets placed in my hands, it's for me. It's mine. But because I'm a really great guy, I might just choose to give you a little bit of what is mine. Because I'm really kind and I'm really generous because I don't have to give you anything. If you live with the assumption that everything that comes your way is for your consumption, then by Jesus' definition, again, hey, welcome to church today. By Jesus' definition, you're greedy. If everything that comes to you is for you, then you will end up using everything that comes to you on you. And the problem is that greed is an appetite. The desire for stuff, the devotion to stuff is an appetite, and appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. They always reawaken. So if you are driven by discontentment because you looked around and you became aware Then you step forward with the assumption that everything that comes to you is for your um, consumption. You are going to spend everything that comes to you on you. But you are not going to (laughs) stop. No, you're not going to stop because you are not a quitter. Because you are a North American and we don't stop when the money runs out. Heck no, that is such an out-of-date economic principle. We don't have to stop when the money runs out. We just keep going. And that leads us to our next really important, happy word, debt. And here's some truth. And this truth, honestly, it's debated by some. But over time, you're going to find that this is true. I want is better than I owe. When you want something and you don't have it, there is tension 
You've probably felt that tension. I want, I know my kids know this tension. They tell me of this tension regularly. Daddy, fix this problem. When you owe something and don't have the money to pay for it, there's tension. The tension is there either way. It is better to live with I want and don't have than I owe and can't pay for it. Debt is when you become a slave to your desire. Your devotion to your desire leads you to slavery. Then do you know what you don't have? Or happiness. Both are gone. In the pursuit of what you thought would make you happy, you actually lost the happiness that you did have because you are in debt or you can't make your payments. The spiritual problem of debt looks like this. I want is an issue between me and God. Once you buy it or borrow to buy it, now it's not between you and God. Now it's between you and a creditor. And you know what makes it worse? God sides with the creditor. Because if you are a Jesus follower, you, you have to pay your debts. You have to pay what you owe. Now here's a great spiritual financial goal for the next year. Anyone can make this part of their life. And this will absolutely guaranteed grow your spirituality and strengthen your financial situation. You can write this part down and then you can read it again and again and again throughout the year, okay? It's complicated. Stay out of debt. There you go. Why? Because we all get tempted to go into debt to get stuff that we can regret being in debt over. Why do we do that? There's that tension inside us again. Don't trade your peace for something that can't bring you peace. So here are the three words that we just talked about, right? Discontentment, greed, and debt. You see them? They're clear, right? Good. Now, in your estimation, which one of these brings you happiness? Which, which one would you like more of to increase your happiness? Because well, discontentment erodes your happiness, cuts away at it. Can't be happy with what I have. Greed, I just consume till the cows come home. Out of my way, small child, I need more. And debt. Debt? That's not even in the red. Let me show you what in the red looks like, all right? Why would I want to have a vacation when I can just keep sending my interest payments away that are the same value as my vacation could have been? Interest is awesome. Like, no one thinks this sort of way, right? But it's all common sense. You just have to stop and think about it. The problem is when you're shopping, we don't stop and we don't think. None of those three words will ever make you happy. And you want to be happy. And I want you to be happy. So here's the life skill for the day. And you can, more, more deep spiritual insight that you can carry out today and you can share freely with those around you. Here it is. Stop. Okay, just, just stop. Please don't do this anymore. Stop making yourself unhappy in the pursuit of happiness. If you want to know how to connect your money with your happiness, then please do away with these three things.
Do that, and we will have already placed you on a path to happiness. You will be happier if you just stop that. And you can deal with all three of those things through wise management. It's not about more, remember, it's about management, how we manage our money, who's in control, who's the boss. Where do I get my good feelings from? And Jesus told us in advance, before we ever asked the question, before we were ever born, Jesus told us before we recognized that no one can serve two masters. So he offers us an alternative. Go back, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. So there is a way to submit your financial life to God. We're supposed to submit our entire life to God, but we like to pull financial one back out frequently. God, I don't want my stuff and my money to manage me. It will always manage me towards unhappiness. God, I want you to manage me and to teach me how to manage my money. You gave it to me. Show me how to use it. Jesus says you can choose your master, and his last name is not card. Master, card. That was a joke. All right, now if you took everything that Jesus taught about money and you summarized it with everything that we got from the whole Jewish scriptures that he was reading, what we call the Old Testament, you could condense all that down into two more words, generosity and wisdom. So you go meet the happiest person that you know, and you know what you're going to find? They are generous and they are wise with their money. They are happy. What would you rather be characterized by? Because you have a choice. You get to sow in the direction you want to go. What would you rather be um, characterized by? Discontentment, greed, and debt? Or generosity and wisdom? Honestly, is there any competition? If you want to connect the dots between happiness over here and money over here, then this is the way forward. Here's the life plan for you. This is the one that you can take out and apply. Give, save, live. That's our money plan. First step is to give. Then you save. Then you live. When you give well and wisely, it leads to joy. God promises you that. When you save well and wisely, it leads to peace. Your peace of mind. I don't have to be worried. And when you live on what's left, that's called freedom. You are free from the bondages that lie in wait for you like discontentment, greed, and debt. And peace can be found in give, save, live. They lead to joy, peace, and freedom, which invariably leads to happiness. Spend less than you make. Give save, live. Your best option is to invite your heavenly father to become your life manager, to become your money manager. And by submitting to him, you learn how to manage your money his way. Now, we talk about offerings. We do that sort of stuff. So I I need you to understand this really, really clearly. We want something for you way more than we want something from you. And we've offered a class already once in the spring called I Was Broke, Now I'm Not. Um, This class was facilitated by a licensed, long-serving, kind, generous, chartered accountant who wants to help people find freedom. And our goal is to help you manage money so that it will stop managing you towards unhappiness. 
We're going to offer this class again in the fall. Um, We don't want you just to survive, just to get through. We long for you to thrive in all the areas. And we believe that your heavenly Father is interested in your happiness. And we believe that Jesus spoke about how peace and happiness can be found and, and grasped and sown for. Please pursue Him. Let Him be your master. Let Him lead you towards peace. Let Him guide you into happiness. Choose Him to be your master. Father, thank You for your holistic approach to us, that our relationship with You is such that You want to be involved in every part of our life. Every area that we are human in, you you have uh, your finger that wants to go on there and say, "I, I have a better plan. I have more in store and I have more in mind for you than just what you see. And I know you think about just the immediate, but I'm thinking about your long term happiness. I want to bring you to a place of peace. I want to bring you to a place of rest. And God, I know that we fight against it. It's one of those places that we just don't believe. Money is such a big deal to us, and we don't want someone telling us what to do with our money. Can't make me do that. And in doing that and holding on tight like that, we are white-knuckled into unhappiness. One of the greatest gifts that you can give us is freedom with our money so that our hands don't have to grasp. We can be open-handed, generous. And when we are open-handed, we are free to receive from you and free to give. And we can find that there is joy in giving and not simply grasping and hoarding and somehow believing that I'll have enough and that that will make me happy because it has been proven time and time again throughout the centuries in every culture that it leads to unhappiness and a lack of peace. It is our desire to find that peace, to find that freedom. Lord God, I pray that you would lead us on that path. Be patient with us because this is hard. This is one of the areas that we find really difficult to trust you. But it's also one of the areas that you were explicit about when you said, I will prove it in this area and in this area alone. I give you permission to test me and see. When we are wise and generous with our money, there is blessing, there is peace, there is freedom, and there is happiness. Lead us forward into that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what happens when you send the band across the street, huh? Josh is here, though, right? Oh, Josh and Victor, that's good. We got electric guitar and. All right. So why don't I just uh, we'll, we'll just close here, and if they come back, we can have that last song. But I'm not singing it for you, no matter how much you beg. So <laughs> stand with me, please. <clears throat> you are the chosen of God. He calls you His children, and as a good parent, a good father, he will provide for you and care for you. You need not worry 
Trust, in this case, brings about freedom. You are loved, chosen, and cared for. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. So I'm going to send you away again. If you want to hang out for a while, that's totally okay. But as you go, I want to remind you that the band is amazing, teens are great, and that we had that perfectly timed down to the last second. So I will finish, and they'll get them, and then you can just go when they're done, or you can go now. But as you go, remember that we are um, Christ-centered, and we are Spirit-empowered, and we are mission-focused, and all of those things remind us that the mission that we're on is for everyone everywhere all the time because there's not a time to take a good break. So take what you have learned, share freedom and peace, go with that. 